Hi everyone, Air here. If you thought this episode was powerful, just like me, I want to invite you to make a difference. Right now, all over the world, there are hundreds of thousands of victims of sexual assault and human trafficking fighting for their lives and fighting for their mental health. We have a nonprofit called Flying With Air Women Survivors that is registered as a 5013C in the state of Florida. We want to donate, we want to give, and we want to support our survivors. This nonprofit is dedicated to partnering survivors of sexual assault and human trafficking with an online therapist. This way they can receive their mental health care that they so need and deserve. Please take a moment and go to flyingwithair.org slash give and make your donation today. Every dollar counts and every dollar makes a difference for a survivor. Thank you. Hi everyone, Air here. Today I have Andres Perez Molina with me. A transformative survivor story that I know is going to frighten you to your core, but then right afterwards inspire you like no other. Welcome to the show, Andres. Thank you for having me, Air. It's a pleasure to be here. And so right off the bat, I know that we are going to talk about something super sensitive and something that you've overcome within the last five years, if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, almost almost three years, two and a half years. Okay, two and a half years. That's even more fresh than yeah. I thought it was. Yeah. And so the way you explained it to me is you called it a cervical spinal cord contusion with your C2 disc. Yes, that is correct. It's like right under my skull. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't very aware where the C2 was prior to my injury, but I was told after my injury, it's the most one of the most fatal places of the body because the C1, C2 are such a small, little fragile uh, part of your, of your spinal cord, but it's under your skull, not necessarily your neck. Mm. And then as far as for all of us laymen out here, what we would call this is basically being diagnosed that you're going to be paralyzed. Yes, it was, um, it was a deep contusion, so it was like a deep bruise, and um, it didn't require surgery at first, but they were not sure if I was going to move again or if my body would respond or wake up from it, since it was a paralyzation from the neck down. Um, they did tell me afterwards, after a little bit of movement, that I avoided permanent damage as in a permanent quadriplegic because... The contusion was less than a centimeter away from being a permanent quadriplegic with a tube through my neck. Um, they kept on comparing it to Christopher Reeves, but his injury, the original Superman from the 70s and 60s, um, when he fell off the horse, that he broke that certain spot that he was obviously, uh, I mean, I'm sure most people are aware of, but that's what I could have been. So take us back a little bit further. Because I really just jumped right into yeah, it. Yeah, you did. Man, wow. We had nice to hook to everybody, right? And so, and I know our like our audience loves that. It's like we like to get very real, very fast. We don't do shallow, and I think that's because we're we're spiritual, right? And you're spiritual as well, correct? I, I am. I am. So let's start there, actually, because that's always where I like get the sweet spot. So define what spirituality means to you. Great question. Um. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. 
Welcome to the show. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, I, I never really thought about it in that sense. I just knew that, you know, my family's from Peru. My dad was uh, part, part Inca, Native American, and he just raised us with certain morals and values of life that were, um, that being not only good people, but honest, positive people, and being in a sense of believers. Mm. And so we were never pushed towards a specific religion, even though we practiced Catholicism. And he always thought that would be a great foundation. But he always understood that spirituality is your religion. You should be able to carry on who you are and not be codependent on any religion or any, um, I guess, any outlook that might just be not yourself. You should be able to know who's who you are inside and out, the good and bad, and understand we all make mistakes, but we have to um, be true to ourselves. And that spirituality kept on growing with his stories and his, his, his dinner stories about who he was and talked about, you know, his, his trial and errors in life and understood that you have to embrace um, the darkness, embrace challenges, and was never afraid to, like, show vulnerability as well, never afraid to show sadness or need or help. Um, so we all, I was very confident in who I was growing up, not knowing that I was practicing my spirituality, but I also noticed that I was able to get along with a variety of different people. Mm-hmm. So I think when you kind of pay attention more to your spirit or soul compared to the outside perception, you kind of connect with more people. For someone that doesn't know how to define spirituality, <laughs> you did a pretty good job. <laughs> I, I think I kind of went off a little subject, but again, it's like, again, there's no specific way in a sense, but I think it's like, you know, a lot of times when you be true, truest form of yourself, I think you, you're practicing your spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. Your spirit. Being authentic. Exactly. So bringing that in, as far as you grew up very authentically connecting with people, understanding, you know, the darkness that you have in yourself, Mm -hmm. as well as the light that you have in yourself, Mm because I can see the light just now, right? But you are, you know, laying in this hospital bed. And before we even get into how you got to the hospital bed, you wake up, you have this sense of I'm here, I'm thinking there might be people around you, maybe not. Like, how did that spiritually come into play for you, or even consciously? Like, who was there, and what were your first thoughts? Um, so I remember this night very, very, very vividly. Um, after I, I, I fell and I woke up, I was in a very calm place. And it's because I remember when I was unconscious, for I believe my brother told me, and my sister-in-law was there at the time. Um, I was out for like two, two and a half minutes. And then when I was out, I was floating towards a light and I was very relaxed. I was at peace. I was kind of somewhat happy in a lot in some weird way. And I was just going somewhere that seemed like an eternity. Um, Is that the famous white light that we heard of or was it not white for you? Something like that. I'm not going to lie. It was something like that. Uh, it was very surreal. Like I saw it, I felt great. I'm floating towards something, and uh, then I woke up. And after I woke up, my brother's reaction kind of threw me off because he was terrified and sweat and tears. And then I woke up with like a grin, kind of like, "What's up? What's mm-hmm. going on?" And he was like, "What do you mean? What's going on? You fainted. You're on the ground." And I was like, "No, I didn't. What are you talking about?" And I had no recollection of recollection of what just happened so you didn't wake up in a hospital you sounds like you woke up 
on my patio floor outside my backyard. So your brother's there, and was your sister there too? My sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law. Yeah, his girlfriend at the time, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember this story. Yeah. We're going to tell you guys later story. this story. Yeah. That's a beautiful story too. Yeah. Okay, so that already pretty much opens up spirituality. It's like you're seeing the light. You're feeling warmth. You're mm -hmm. feeling... Um, at any point, did you see the mind-to-body connection, or was it completely, like, visually what it looked like? It was just visually what it looked like, and mentally I was still there until he tried to get me up, and then I felt my body, and I felt nothing. And it was a numbness, it was a heaviness um, that I never felt before. And I've had numerous injuries before, breaks, tears, ACL, broken bones, variety of different things but never like that before and that's when he um was encouraging me to get up but i just i couldn't it's not even try to lift i couldn't feel my arms i couldn't feel my stomach or my legs and after a while there i thought it was just a shock still so we waited a little bit and i'll try again and there was not a not a nudge not an inch not a lift of anything and every time he he was after that and he was afraid to touch me mm. because he saw that I hit I hit my head. And it was a head injury. So let's pause here. Now actually tell me what happened. <laughs> Great, Gilda. <laughs> um, so it was August 26, 2020, and uh, we were right in the heart of the pandemic. And I was fairly new here to Florida. I just completely changed my life from living in L.A., um, working as a full-time actor, and pursuing my dreams, but I came here to take care of my mom, who was retiring in her 70s, and I wanted to be close by, and, you know, I was gone for so long, and we were going through a lot, obviously, with the pandemic, and maybe I wasn't processing the trend that moved so smoothly, or, you know, not taking it in, maybe there was a lot of stress built up as well, but I kept on pushing through, like any, most people would. We had to fight. Exactly. And that morning, I went out to do a uh, long bike ride. It was like a 20, 25-mile bike ride. I usually use exercise as my stress releaser. And after I got back, um, this was during August in Florida, so I wasn't aware of the humidity or the heat of it, which you don't really feel as you're biking anyways. Mm -hmm. And I normally would hydrate a good amount and do my protein shake and everything afterwards. Uh, but then hours later... Um, me, my brother, and my sister-in-law were outside the patio putting together some new furniture. And somewhere along the line, I kind of just felt uncomfortable. So I decided to get up and go inside the house to grab a cup of water. And then that's when I felt a warm like sensation rise up. And then as I reached for the patio door with my right hand, I felt that warm sensation hit my head, and I just fainted. And I fell straight down. Um... And I hit the right temple side of my head, um, near my sideburns, and I hit this very thick um, marble flower pot. And it was a freak of an accident. The neurologist called, the doctors called, everyone called, because I hit the right spot of my temple. And as my body weight, you know, I'm like 6'2", 210 pounds, went straight down, my head still stayed that position, which caused the contusion on my C2. Um, so I mean, I'm not even scarred here, as you can see. Yeah, that's what I was there's nothing at. there. <laughs> I had, a, I did have a scratch, and I did have a wound, and you know, blood. 
but nothing crazy, nothing like gushing or nothing you saw. You didn't see anything in my bone. So was it all internal or did all was internal. there actually? All okay. internal. It was the perfect spot, freak of an accident, all the doctors told me. And so uh, that's after when I woke up, um, then that's when everything kind of clicked in. I'm like, this is normal. Then I was just terrified. And so did you have any precursors of any sort? Like high blood pressure or cholesterol or anything nothing. that would cause you to faint? Nothing. I was mean, it? I've had a couple of anxiety attacks throughout my whole life, but nothing extreme or common, but nothing out of ordinary. Um, I've always been a healthy person, always eating well and exercising. And I've always been into fitness. Mm. Uh, never had problems with abusing anything, in a sense. So it's just very out of ordinary, you know? Earlier, you mentioned superheroes, um, particularly Superman, I believe. Yeah. So, do you affiliate freak accidents or like overcoming those type of traumas to being a superhero? Like, would in a spiritual sense or even in a Marvel versus DC sense? Oh, wow, we're going there. So. Uh, great question. Um, I always, you know, I, I was always a childhood superhero fan in a sense. And I always feel like, you know, everyone can find their own hero within themselves. Not necessarily you have to go fight crime or wear a cape, but believing in something outside of yourself, believing in something bigger than yourself. And um, I think, you know, we kind of lose that hope or that strength when we grow up. Mm. And I remember clearly after my father's passing at 17, I took on, like, I embraced the loss, the darkness to be like, all right, I'm going to show you what I can do. And I'm going to show you, and I'm going to prove to you I can do something big. So when I went to L.A., uh, this is a long, longer, another story. One of my goals was to be a part of a superhero movie, and I had no connections. I came from fresh, no start, no education in acting. I was just basically did it raw. And I was honored to work with uh, Batman himself, Bruce Wayne, Christian Bale, in mm -hmm. my first speaking role. And that was something very surreal and uh, symbolic. To like proving to my dad, proving to myself, proving to Hollywood that I could do it. And then when his injury happened, they kept on comparing it to Superman. Mm. His, not his nemesis, but maybe his ally, his partner. And it was a very crazy, you know, situation to go through. And I figured, I was like, all right, this is my star performance. This is my Oscar performance. This is, this is it. You're healing. I'm, I'm, well, at the time. Not I'm, the television. Yeah. Excuse me? Uh, is it the healing or the television? Sorry, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited. That's my psychic coming yeah. out. Okay. Um, no, I just, I, I took it as, I, I embraced it as a very difficult role that I was not prepared for, but I knew I was going to be resilient enough to finish it. Hmm. So who was the villain in that story then? My ego. My ego is because of in the very beginning, probably the first couple of weeks in the hospital, um, I was angry, aggressive, and I was using all of my adrenaline to force the healing, uh, force myself to move or almost live in denial of it because I was so embarrassed. Um, then eventually you have to accept that. So once you accept the surrendering, the humility, sacrifice that ego dies mm. and then you can really have an opportunity to rise so who helped you come to that conclusion or was it on your own 
did a doctor, nurse, family member help kill that ego, or was um, it internal? It was a variety of things. I mean, I remember clearly, uh, it was too much for my mom to come visit me at the hospital. I mean, she was in the mid-70s, and it was just a little too much to see her youngest in that position with the neck brace and tubes and everything. I didn't realize you were the baby of the group. I am. I okay. am. Yeah. So mom is too too soon for mom, which yeah. is understandable. Um, so my brother and my sister, my sister's sister, took turns every day to come visit me. And obviously this is during 2020, so it was very restricted. Mm. You know, 20 minute visits here and there and just seeing them and hearing, feeling their support was a big part because I was terrified and couldn't move and helpless. That was a lot of time alone then. It was. It was a lot of time alone. I'm not going to lie. And when you're paralyzed from the neck down, going through a global pandemic, you're feeling like, all right, either I'm going to go insane or I have to embrace this as a somewhat of a movie, which could be in some some form because it was like, all right, we're, I'm seeing nurses in their whole jumpsuit with the masks and they're touching me and I'm like, what's going on right here? This is crazy. This is happening here in Florida. Um, but it was a variety of different support supporters in that that, that moment um, I, they offered me a psychologist when I was in the hospital and I was I welcomed it and I was like yeah I'll take anything mm -hmm. so she brought some peace to it but she knew I was still fighting it she was like I could tell you're very ambitious and committed to it that you're, you're still fighting yourself though and that's gonna hold your body back you want to heal but you're still gonna heal angry mm -hmm. that's what I'm afraid of she said and uh, and, I'm, and I was probably headed that way because I was mad, again, embarrassed, humiliated, everything. Then it was one day where it was, after three weeks um, not really moving, I was, they were moving me to the rehab facility center in Douglas, my good friend to this day, uh, my physical therapist. Um, he woke me up on the first day, and you have to qualify for this rehab center because you have to be committed to it. Okay. It's going to be gruesome, tough. Intense. Intense. Uh, more mental than physical, because obviously we're not doing the extreme, but for you to not be able to get up or walk or do anything on your own, you can have a lot of, you know, possible mental breakdowns. Everything's extreme at that point. Everything. And so I was eager and I was ready, but I was ready to fight it compared to just be it. Mm. And um, this Douglas, who was very well known and known to being tough and hardworking, but someone that you want. You know, very militant, which is what you need in this kind of situation. So I was in the middle of just taking a little morning nap, and he wakes me up, and he had my chart in his arms, you know, folded up, and he was like, Andreas, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've heard your story. It's quite a unique situation. Um, and here I am. I haven't moved yet, barely. I mean, maybe wiggling my toes. And um, I was like, Douglas, I've heard only great things. I'm looking forward to this. And just to let you know, don't take it easy on me. I'm going to give you all I got. And he was like, oh, I've heard you're very committed, you're very ambitious, you're very excited for it, great. But before we get started, you have to realize and accept and I want to hear you say that you are blessed to be in this opportunity to heal. Mm. And I was looking at him, I was like giving him the biggest stare down look, acting like I could get up and do something about it. And I was like, I am a lot of things right now and I'm committed, but I'm not blessed. And there's not one ounce of me that ever feels blessed to be in this position. So he knew what I was saying within my look. I didn't dare say all that, of course. I've had a very similar experience. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. As you know, I, 
I'm never going to take away from your story. Your story stands strong on your own, but I'll put in this little tidbit. Um, just because I'm a survivor in a different aspect, yes. as you know. And I had a mentor before she was a psychiatrist. And that was one of the very first things she said to me. She actually nicknamed me Sunshine ah. because I was so cynical. I was in that dark phase, right? Yeah. Like, how dare you even, you know, I'm the victim, right? Yeah. I was in my victim fair. And she said right off the bat, Sunshine, I need you to be thankful Mm. For what happened to you? Wow. Talk about bad yeah, looks. Yeah, you're like, no. <laughs> that, that's just a, I don't know. I love what they did, but it's, like, it's hard to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't even know the words or how you got there, or even if you're still there yet. I don't know. If you'll ever get past it. Exactly. So and it's normal not to feel that or not wanted to feel that. So, vengeful, anger. Of course. All of those. But. So he was, he was, he said that pretty clearly, and, and, and um, I'll never forget the look I gave him. And this is before I know I said this earlier, but this is before I knew the full diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so he told me, he was like, I don't think they've showed you your chart, but I'm going to show you your chart. And he pulls up and he shows me my neck x ray, and he was like, You see your C2 contusion under your skull? Uh, C1s and C2s in the most fatal place in the smallest part of the, of the spinal cord where it's usually a break. And I mean, usually a break as in me, meaning you're permanent quadriplegic for life. And for some reason, whoever upstairs or not decided to give you a C2 contusion deep enough away from less than a centimeter. And he pinches his thumb and his index finger less than a centimeter from being a permanent quadriplegic. You just got cold body chills. <laughs> uh, I know, right? It, 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 so he says that, and he was like, we don't know when you're going to move, but you at least have a chance. And how good, we'll, don't, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And when he said it like that, that's when my ego died. And I cried for like five minutes straight. And uh, Your anger or your ego? This is where I'm going to go into a little bit of spiritual coaching. Both, probably. I mean, I was, that's when I finally accepted it compared to fighting it and having the opportunity to heal um, and being very, you know, um, direct and blunt the way he said it. I, I, I felt it. And I actually felt blessed at that moment. And I was like, a different me was showing up compared to fight my way through this. I'm going to make my way through this. Mm. And so I remember wiping, well, not wiping, he wiped my tears up. And I was like, let's get to work. So that was that was a big, big moment I'll never forget. And then my progression of healing jumped just abnormally from one day to the second. How long did it take overall from who I see today? Both of us, if you look at us, you would never believe we have these stories. Especially, like, you going from where you came and, like, where you are. You're very strong-looking, tall, you stand erect. You know, you walk in the room and you take charge. So, with that, how long did it take, other than, you know, the two and a half years, you know, since the event, for you to physically walk again? Well, that's the thing. With this kind of injury... It, you could categorize walking with a walker or a cane 
mm. and walking with help. But when you actually talk about walking without looking or paying attention to it, like second nature, I'm still not there. Okay. Like I walk with purpose. Is that your spirit leading or is that your body out of fear? Both, I would okay. say, because I'm still like re regaining strength and coordination and endurance. Um, so I, I walk fine, I'm sure. But I, I notice I have a very, um, I'm very focused on what I'm doing because I had to relearn it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's from literally using a wheelchair and practicing heel toe and not even moving in a chair, but just moving your heel to your toe and then doing that for like five days and then eventually maybe trying to step up and stand up mm -hmm. and then that for a few days and then try to take one step. That morning, Douglas told me that um, blessed moment. They saw that I was ready to accept it. So they pulled me up to the parallel bars and they had three therapists help pick me up and my legs were shaking like noodles. My arms were like noodles. I had no control or uh, strength in them at all. So they basically swing my arms up to the parallel bars and they hold my hands down as I'm trying to hold the parallel bars because I can't grip anything yet. And they slowly, you know, uh, slide my feet up to the to the to the, the strip, the walkway, and I couldn't do one step. And I'm like fighting it all of my strength, muscle memory, everything. I'm like I'm 37 years old. I could take one step, and I couldn't do it. And they kept on trying to like say, let's try it later. And I'm like, no, keep me up here. And I kept on fighting for them to keep me up there. And eventually, I just couldn't do it. So they're like, let's get you back to the bed, and we'll do some more stretching. And I remember I was just defeated that day. And I was like, okay, I've accepted it, but I still am not seeing any results at all. Not even one thing. I'm not expecting anything crazy, of course, or anything extreme. But then that day when they bring me, brought me back three hours later to my room, uh, that was a night that changed me forever because I told him, I was like, I'm not going to stay in my room in my chair or my bed for the next 14 hours and just watch TV. And it's not even like I can watch TV. I don't. I can't use my phone because I can't use my arms. Mm -hmm. I had a, some level of like a, an apparatus, some kind of like tube from my hospital bed that would connect to my mouth. So if I wanted to get the nurse's attention, I'd blow this whistle with my mouth. I would have to blow on another button for lights, blow to change the channel, blow to change the volume. So it's all through my mouth and nothing with my arms. So I'm, like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to stay like this for 14 hours my first day at the rehab center. What can I do? So he gave me a bunch of paperwork and basically simple body exercises, body lifts. Then he was like, I need you to visualize this and connect with this to your body and talk to your body. Literally talk to it mm -hmm. and be gentle with it. Because if before I would say, you better move, you know, you mother. <laughs> I was yelling at it. You know, I did it all prior to this moment. I was yelling at it. I was fighting it. I was trying to like, any, I was like, anything, give me pain so I could feel something. Because I couldn't feel anything. And I remember clearly it was like 12 hours straight. All I would do is just talk to my body and just manifest and visualize moving and just recovering. Um, I didn't sleep good that night, but I remember clearly that when I went to the parallel bars the next morning, I did 20 steps. Mm. I feel like a lot of our listeners are going to relate to that when it comes to yoga mm. or when it comes to exercise in general. 
yeah. like weightlifting even. Yeah. Because in yoga, just like you mentioned, is like tell your body to move. Like especially in more balancing poses. Yeah. Like your body just doesn't listen. Your no. body's like no, or if you stretch it too far, yeah. it just quits on you, right? Yeah. Even when you go to like do the chest press, which I'm not doing these days, <laughs> if you look at me, but if you go to do, you know, the chest press with the weights, like your body can kind of psych you out a little bit All the way. and you have to visualize, mm -hmm. you know, okay, can I get my leg next to my ear? Most people don't visualize that and yeah. actually like make it happen. I would assume that might be similar to you whenever you're like, okay, I have to actually go step by step or inch by inch or even centimeter by centimeter yes. as you put it through that walk bar i mean i remember the, the quote my nurse kept on saying small wins leads to big results and what you said about the mind which is i think we all can, can agree with is that the mind is built to protect you mm. and that's the subconscious exactly yeah. so that's where you have to think outside of that and mm. not be so much in your mind but be in your spirit or your soul to know that something that might be impossible could be possible how can you think outside the box? How can you welcome that? How can you embrace that? How can you... Um, and I don't think most people even try to get there, I mean, in a normal day situation until something traumatic or something shocking happens to you. To like, how do you respond in these situations? Mm -hmm. And when you're like pushed against the corner, um, you really find out who you are. So you mentioned manifestation. Yes. That's the first time I've heard you say that word right. since we met. Okay. <laughs> Do you believe in manifestation? 100%. Lost, so lost. what does that look like for you? Um, you know, I feel a lot of people are not aware of the subconscious mind. One of my favorite books, The Power of the Subconscious Mind, it talks about you know how you need to plant your seeds, your thoughts into the mind, into the subconscious mind of when you are not unconscious or when you are conscious to think bigger, connect with the third eye, connect with the spirit, connect with the soul, which all connects to the spinal cord. Hmm. How? Uh, <laughs> I know, but you, I know, I think you know better than I do, so I'll just say the fact that you know, I don't even want to try to explain it, but I've seen a lot of it, I've studied it, and I, I did a lot of, you know, uh, healing sound, sound healing. Okay. And, um. Well, forget me for a moment. Forget my ego. I'm checking my ego at the door. This is <laughs> As you should. this is your story on this. So, how do you think the manifestation to mind body connection and the sound healing, all of that connected together? I told him early on, guys, that I was going to ask some tough questions. No, it's a great question. I'm definitely thinking of it through and. You know, when you when you think of something that's not normally doable or seems impossible, you have to believe in anything. And when there's like they say in mind over matter or that's impossible or a miracle happens, usually that's when something is manifested to think outside the norm. Um, it doesn't have to be rational, it doesn't have to make sense. But you feel it. You know, it's kinda of like that gut feeling or your intuition. Mm. Um, it's a strength, it's a skill that most people don't practice on. And usually sometimes we only refer to that when we're in trouble or when we're sad or when we're traumatized. But that's something I've always kind of practiced through, you know, being my father's son who was very aware of that, you know, L.A. and acting, embrace uh, psychology and different emotions. I've always been kind of dancing with that in a sense, you know, manifestation. Um, like I always did my vision boards, 
Laws of Attraction, Secret, and the other book in the movie I love. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just brought that same process into this injury, and I just constantly visualized myself getting up or moving and manifesting myself healing. Would you say that meditation was kind of forced on you during that time because you were alone so much? Yes. I used to meditate not consistently, but I was very, I did enjoy it. And I was always uh, open to doing more, but I never really committed to it. But when you're stuck in your body and all you have is your thoughts and your energy mm-hmm. and everyone doing everything for you, that's when you start, you know, you start tapping into this meditation that's just, um, I don't know. I, I, I remember just closing my eyes and listening. I had my nurses put on my AirPods and I would just lose myself into thought and meditate. And it wasn't music with like beats or like lyrics. It was, I was asked for like soothing uh, spinal cord music to wake up. Spinal cord. You're yeah. talking about the frequencies? Yeah, the chakras, the frequencies, all these beats and all these like numbing noises and all these crazy stuff. Not crazy, but you know, something you normally wouldn't. So most people don't pay attention to this until, like you said, something yeah. significant happens in their life, like a trauma, or until they're ready to grow themselves. Exactly. So with that... At what point did your culture and family and spirituality kind of come all together to where you're at today? How does your family view you or how do you view yourself spiritually or even culturally differently? That's, a, that's another great question. That's a great question. Um, Very patient. It's okay. <laughs> um the moment culturally and spiritually with my family their their unconditional love and support is something I'll always always be appreciative and, and grateful for but I remember my psychologist warning me about this that you know you're still thinking everything has changed everyone adapts to you mm. and don't take it as pity or charge or charity um, but you got to get over that and, you know, see what you're made of. If this, if this, you don't let this injury define you, what you do afterwards defines you, your recovery. And I remember them being so open and caring and giving and, you know, how you see, you see just like the hospitality. It's, it's just, I had that and I was like, I needed it, but I was also, I didn't want to be taken care of still because it's one thing with nurses doctors in the environment when you're home you're just like now am i the handicapped one am i the disabled one am i the affected one and you know as someone who was always the tallest or strongest of the family i I took a lot of pride of like you know health and fitness as well and i'm like now you know I, i can't do anything to anything or anyone here at the house with my family. They didn't ask for anything either. But it was along those lines where a good friend of mine offered me an outlet as to becoming a coach and helping others. 
and somewhere between learning how to become a coach and training and working with him as my mentor and then helping others, not through injuries or spinal paralyzations, but just um, life and relationship situations, it made me calm down my nerves and, and embarrassment of how I felt at home and made me feel more grateful for having the family that I have to be there for me. So in a way, I was trying to make my mess my message by coaching others and not get in my way because I was now home. And somewhere along that, the new spiritual side of me, the cultural side of who I, my family is, and even the opportunity to help others all coincided together. And it, it just felt natural. It felt like my calling. That's what I was about to ask next. Yeah. You got a little bit psychic in you, too. A little bit. I was like, okay, would you consider everything that happened to you? Did it lead to your calling? Or did you have an inkling that you were going to become a coach one day anyways? And actually, let's pause for a second. Let's tell everybody what type of coach you are and uh, <laughs> bring them up to speed on that. Uh, so. I'm a relationship coach and life coach, um, specifically a relationship coach for women. Um, I was trained from and by Alex Cormont, the French relationship expert. He's a very established uh, coach worldwide, mm. uh, top of his field in Europe and in France. I remember being 21. Like, <laughs> Alex saved me from these men, these boys. He's uh, considered like a, almost like a French hitch of uh, the dating world in a sense. Mm. and um, Which is great. Um, so did that actually lead like your whole, your story as a survivor lead into you thriving as a coach? It did. And you know, it's funny cause my friends always knew me before the injury as like the motivational guy, the guy who always gave the pep talk, you know, the guy who might be the life of the party as well. I keep it fun. Um, the guy who's always preaching about something. So I was always kind of that type, you know, optimistic and, 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 and motivational. Never looked as a coach though. Hmm. And so when the opportunity came in with, with Alex and, and, and his platform and the training and everything else, not only was it so therapeutic, it just felt very natural. So acting has always been my passion that I pursued, but this is definitely my calling because it's something that I would never expect to pursue or do, but it came from the worst time of my life. So I'm going to put you to the test. All right. Right off the quick. i got like five minutes left with you, right? So... Let's say I'm Andres and I'm, you know, three years ago, I just woke up. I may have even lost a little bit of my faith, mm. I would imagine. And my faith, not only like in the universe or God or in myself, what are maybe three key things that you would suggest for them to help get them from where you started to where you're sitting. Key things as in keeping your faith? Um, key advice. It could be um, suggestions. Hmm. It could be mantras, affirmations. The spirituality oyster is yours. <laughs> um, my, my father's favorite quote, which I always grew up with and always lived with, was if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Now, part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Okay. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So that would get me out of the state of pity, I would yeah, imagine. Exactly. Okay, so now I'm like, okay, I'm going to be part of the solution. 
I'm, I have no more pity for myself. I'm, I'm fighting now. Yeah. Okay, now I'm at fighting stage. So what do you do when you're ready to fighting stage but you don't know how to fight yet? And I remember clearly my sister, who's a yoga instructor, very spiritual as well, more than I am. Mm. Maybe not your level, but definitely <laughs> I level. mean, sister sounds so, pretty good right she's now. She's pretty cool. <laughs> very cool, actually. And um, she's big on quotes. And so she brought quotes into my hospital room uh, on the wall. And one of them was from The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, one of my favorite role models. And it says, you have three choices in life. Give up, give in, or give it your all. Give up, give in, or give it your all. And for the longest time, as I was staring at it, before I even moved, before anything was kind of healing, I just jumped to give it your all. Okay. And so we're getting out of our mind now. Exactly. But the thing is, when you said you're ready to fight, but you don't know how to fight yet, you need to actually give up first and surrender yourself. So when you're ready to fight, it's not fight with ego. Surrender yourself. Get over yourself. Stop feeling pity and party for yourself. No charity. No, you just play the victim. Get over it. No one cares in that position. Yes, there's people who do care, but towards your recovery, it's up to you. No one's coming to rescue you. No one's coming to rescue you. So you need to give up first, which I realized after a while staring at that quote for weeks. And then you need to give in to the process and understand it's a journey, not a marathon. Be patient with yourself. Commit to it. Discipline yourself. Small wins leads to big results. And, and reward yourself through this time. Because it's not going to go perfect. It's not going to go smoothly. Accept failure. Fail big. Fail hard. Fail forward. Fail forward. Swing hard. Swing for the fences. And then while you're doing that, you keep on giving your all by staying resilient with it. And somewhere along the line, I feel like a lot of people need to be a little easier on themselves, not be so hard on themselves. On accepting something and then what are you gonna do about it and then after that I would say overall is to remind yourself how far you've come and not what you don't have but how far you've gotten mm. and another big part was to help others because I have another story we could talk about another time but you really there's a lot of people who really have it worse mm. and I had a few moments not just coaching but personal through other people in the hospital who reached out to me who have it worse, who can't move, who can't walk, and they wanted to hear my story. They wanted to meet me for Christmas. And I was like, I'm nobody, but you want to meet me because we had a similar injury? And so when that really kind of sparked a more, not only gratitude and focus, but just a purpose to keep on practicing this and, and don't wait until you lose your humility. Practice it. Oh, my. So, believe, accept, and be resilient. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Not just me. I'm like full body chills this entire time. But with everybody that's going to hear it on the show, podcast, YouTube, I'm sure someone's going to find it and all the right people. Um, how do we find you? Uh, well, thank you for having me, first of all. I'm a big fan. I love your work. I love what you do. So, we need more of that. Um, you can find me on my website, coachingwithundress.com, my YouTube, Coaching with Undress, uh, or my Instagram, Coaching with Undress 711, which is my birthday, not the store. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ladies, there's his birthday too. He's yeah. a cancer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. With that, um, thank you guys so much, as always, for healing with me today and growing with me.